Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a Pilates teacher specialising in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. The aim of this podcast is to inspire and inform mothers of any stage and to chat about the trials and tribulations of moving your body after having kids. I'll be speaking to women who are coaches, instructors, therapists, athletes and adventurers who all work with mothers in some way and happen to be mothers themselves. This isn't about perfection, standards or achieving. This is a conversation about how to make the best of the rest of our lives through a nourishing relationship with our bodies and minds. I want to talk about what these women do, how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. In this week's episode, I have the pleasure of talking to Sophie Power, who is a mum, the head of a London-based eco company and an ultra-distance runner who became an overnight poster girl for breastfeeding athletes everywhere after a photo taken of her feeding her three-month-old baby broke the internet in September last year. So Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your working day to chat with me. Thanks. Um, So maybe to start with, you can introduce yourself a little bit more, your family life, where you are, what you do. Sure. So I, um, I've just moved out of London after more than a decade. So, um, I live with my husband, John in Guildford now, um, surrounded by beautiful trail running. Um, and my two sons, uh, Danica's four and Cormac's, uh, just almost eight months now. So, um, a little way on from the three month old baby he was. (laughs) Um, and I work in, so I, I've actually just stepped down as a CEO of Air Labs, which is a I'm a tech company I, I co-founded four years ago, which cleans uh, polluted air, develops technology, um, to actually focus on kind of social impact and advising companies and consulting. And and I guess with the motherhood um, motherhood line now, looking to see where um, how positive an impact I can make on on mothers and inspiring them to do what I find is quite normal. <laughs> and so, what is it that you find that's quite normal? I, I guess the whole. Um, a lot of what came out of the the UTMB pitch, which I'm sure kind of we'll chat about, is it wasn't just about breastfeeding and running and ultra running. I think it very much opened a conversation that women don't feel able to to do things for themselves and take time for themselves. There is this huge, massive mother's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime you're doing something that's not completely focused on your children, um, you, you feel guilty. But then... Mm-hmm. People who work feel guilty. People who stay at home and aren't working feel guilty. Um, and it's very much saying kind of how do we find some kind of balance? How do we make sure we're looking after ourselves as well as our children? Um, and what support network do we need around us to be able to do that? Yes, that's amazing. And that is, is that something that has just come for you out of everything that's happened since the UCMB and the photo and being released and things? I think I always had an innate understanding of it um and where I wanted to get to as as a mother and what I believe was important um I certainly was had an awareness of my own mental health my physical health being very important and knowing that they have to be in the right place for me to be able to look after other people um and I think a lot of people don't realize that or, or or haven't even kind of considered um 
and certainly considering kind of where um, in life is important. I've had some really busy careers. I've been through investment banking and never slept in months. I've been through private equity um, and, and I guess jobs kind of CEOs and, and international CFOs and and thinking if I look back in, in 10 years time, what would I regret? Um, would I regret kind of not spending more hours in the office or would I regret not spending more time with my kids? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that's something that we so have to hold hold on to really firmly as as the sort of the guiding path of of that is um yeah the things that we would regret not doing um and were you always into running like has running always been your thing were you sporty at school um and and you know did that sort of develop from being sporty at school no i i was this this is what people find quite surprising i was never a runner um so i was not sporty at, all at school i wanted to be sporty i was a bit of a football fan and i was desperate to be good at sport um but i wasn't um when we had to run the mile when we were about 14 i came second last in nice. my class yeah um and i was never fit i was always a bit overweight um i was always very musical so all my time was spent musical but um i also had the the air force cadets so I was um, flying planes at weekends um, with my father. Um, and so I was good at trekking and I was kind of quite physically strong. Uh, my grandmother was from the Lake District, so I spent my holidays there walking um, in the mountains. But I'd never, I'd never even run at university. At uh, university, I joined, um, I played rugby and football and I rode, but more for the, the social aspect mm. um, than anything else. I mean, rugby, I was kind of great at tackling, not so great at running down the wing. Yeah. Um, so it only came um, much after that um, when I, 10 years ago, um, I became redundant from a finance job um, in a nasty way, and I um, jumped on a plane to Thailand um, to go to a Muay Thai camp um, for almost two months. <laughs> As you do. I, um, <laughs> I, I, well, I, I was on gardening leave and I was quite restricted. So I was like, well, what do I do? And, and I was at a wedding in Delhi and um, I'd been doing a little bit of boxing with a trainer in London. thought, this is good. So I cancelled my return flight, um, booked an onward flight to Thailand. And um, my husband said, you know, come back when you, you're mentally ready to come back. Oh. Um, two months later, almost two months later, I called him and go, guess what? I'm going to fight next week. He's ready <laughs> on the next plane. Um, so I got on the next plane home. Um, but it was, it was after there where I was, I was still kind of working, what did I want to do in my career? And I met a friend who I trained in the Air Force with um, while I was in the University Air Squadron, and he'd just done the Marathon de Saab. Um, and that's the, the 250-odd kilometer, um, six-day um, run across the Sahara Desert. And I'd sponsored him, so he said, let's have lunch. And he said, you could do this. I said, of course I can't. I can't run. I guess, yeah, but most people walk it. Everyone starts out running for the first kind of few hundred meters and then realize it's quite standing, <laughs> quite tough. And then they walk for the next six days. Um, so as I, I find myself with a lot of things, I just sign up for stuff, not knowing quite what it is, but knowing that I will kind of get my head around it. Um, so I had nine months to go from non-runner to ultra runner um, and then realized actually I loved it. I love being out in nature. Um, and actually, I was quite good at it. Um, and the longer I went, the better I was. Um, and that's how I became a runner. 
so it was it, you you were really comfortable with being out for hours and hours it was because um obviously presumably you're training when you were trying to walk or thinking about the fact that you were probably going to walk the marathon so you have to walk for and be comfortable like in your hips and your feet and with a pack on your back and all the rest of it for a really long time like and you realized that that was all right for you I think I've always been physically strong and I was weight training um, beforehand, obviously through the Muay Thai, um, I was physically fit in a different way. So um, I think weight training is very important for, for me as an ultra runner to not get injured, um, for you over the distance to to keep your gait, to um, have your muscles um, have that endurance and that strength to to not start kind of wobbling because that's where you get the, the injuries from and, and the imbalances. So for me, that actually came quite naturally, and I didn't have, and I haven't had the kind of injury profile um, a lot of, especially long distance runners have. Mm. Um, and for packs, uh, I mean, I used to hike long days, um, and even at university, we in the in the Air Force, we did this nine mega marches, which is twenty five miles a day for four days. Um, and I guess I'm quite mentally strong in that. Um, Pain, I don't think I'm affected by pain in the same way as, right. as a lot of people. Or I can just put it in a little box yeah. somewhere in my head and forget about it. Yeah, which um, is something um, Killian Jornet, who's uh, to everybody else, and obviously you know him, is a, a famous ultra runner. He talks about pain is the thing that you need to be able to con- control, get past, lean into get comfortable with it's the mental aspect of of the sort of ultra distance isn't it that's the thing it's that as well as I think it's that and I think it's also the the difference in preparation and planning and body management um that makes ultras completely different I mean people say what do you think I did a 43 mile race the weekend and someone said what were you thinking of and I was like there's a almost continuous scan in your head of um, okay, how far do I have to go to the next checkpoint? How much water do I have? How much food do I need to eat um, now? Especially because I'm breastfeeding, I have to take on, and I'm not able to burn fat very well. I have taken so much food. Um, how are my feet feeling? Am I on track? Where am I going? Um, what do I need to plan? Is anything rubbing? Do I need to take that up? There's a continual kind of cycle in your head um, that you have to have on an ultra that you don't have to have when you're racing a half marathon. Yeah, yeah. So like if you're going out for a 10K, 10 miles, half marathon, something like that, it's all about enjoying it, feeling it, you know, uh, are you able, like you might do the odd bit of calculations of your pace and things like that, but you can pretty much get through that mindlessly being able to allow yourself to shut off. But with ultra, you're actually really super focused on yourself. In, which is a big difference. Um, and when we were talking about, um, you know, when you were going from school to university and things like that, do you think, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing that you were like, oh, I wasn't very good and I was a little bit overweight and my attention was elsewhere. Do you think that that might be a barrier for other women as well, that, that that's a common barrier, their experience of sport at school? Uh, to how they sort of continue moving and take up movement, sport, exercise, whatever it is, with after being becoming a mum. I think so. I think it's just that in general. I think schools may be getting kind of better at promoting sport to women in lots of different forms. I mean, uh, at my school, it was um, 
only a few things that were, were offered and if you were good at them, you were not. And it was the same group of girls that were good at them, but they were in the teams. Mm. And if you weren't able to get on the hockey team, you weren't really invited to practice. Mm. Um, and I think the change has to be that even if you're not great at something, doesn't mean you can't enjoy it and doesn't mean you shouldn't participate in it. Yeah. And, and there is a sport for everyone um, and a fitness way of, for everyone that they enjoy and if you enjoy something, you'll, you'll keep up with it. Mm. So I think certainly kind of when my generation and, and, and older have these nightmares of what school sport was. And and, and now I think you, there's classes. I mean, Zimba is a great form of fitness. If you're raising your heart rate, then you are you are doing sport. Um, and only having it as competitive sport, you must be in a team and it must involve a ball or you must be racing against the time. It is the wrong way to think about it when the, the, the focus is on on enjoying yourself and keeping fit. And I went to uh, the Women in Sport um, uh, conference last October and one of the things they were talking about their mission is to keep women and girls in sport or to get, and to get them into and to keep them there. And one of the things we were talking about is that girls' experience of sport and exercise from school or into adulthood is different to men's experience in that a lot of men take part in sport as a as a fun sort of communal thing that they do with a load of mates they might be a bit rubbish at it but just kicking around a ball going and do something doing something quite active is quite a normal part of 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 doing something together with friends whereas for girls particularly at school if they're not brilliant at it they lose enthusiasm and nobody picks them up and so they, um, you know, there tends to be a sort of, you're either excellent at sport, and so you're trying to achieve, get medals, be in the team, do whatever it is, or you don't take part at all, and that's not the case with boys. I think that's right. I think the other, the difference is, I guess, we older is, um, any parents who know when there's activities or birthday parties at a weekend, it's often the mums bringing the kids because the dads have got football or an organized time to do something as part of a team. And so they have to keep that, that promise. Mm. Whereas a lot of what women do is classes or gym or running, which is not a specific time. So you have to then make time for it. And that's always the first thing to drop. Yeah. Um, if you're not part of a team, and that's why it's good having um, cancellation fees on classes, because you can say, well, I'll, I'll lose my, my money if I don't go. Um, that might make people actually turn up. Um, but the differences in how we enjoy sport um, often mean that women give up their, their time and, and the men don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, you you have two boys. And do you think it's, obviously, they're, they're young at the moment, so they haven't probably quite gathered what, like, I don't know, other parents uh, do regarding sports and activity. But... Do you think it's is it an important aspect of your parenting to be able to show your boys that mummy does activity and daddy supports her as well as I'm sure your husband presumably does something active as well and you support him? Um, do you think that's an important part of, of what you do as well? I don't think it's important to me to show that, that necessary that I do things um, separate to my husband and he does things. I think it's just important that we all do things and it's important to be fit um but it's really fun being fit um and um it's fun and there's ways we just involve fitness in our in our lives um 
this morning I was going to nursery um, and I, I carry Cormac and a carrier and, and Danica walks. It's about 20 minutes. We go on the canal. It's beautiful now. And we were doing interval training um, on, on the canal, kind of like who can run for, and obviously I'm a carrier, so I can't really run very fast the carrier. It's kind of a, yeah. a power walk. Like who can get first to this tree? Um, who can do this? Like, can you run up this hill without stopping? Um, he jumps on my back um, when I'm doing planks at home. Um, <laughs> and 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 is like, mom, do press ups with me in your back. It's like, oh gosh, he's getting really, he's 15 kilos now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's just instilling a, um, movement into their lives. Mm. Um, we took him out of nursery in, in London because there was no outside space. Here he has an acre and a half mm. and a forest school. Um, he's running about all the time. Bedtime's been brought forward half an hour because he's so knackered. Aww. So for me, it's it's all about making sure they love sport. We just come back from La Santa and Lanzarote and he's been doing all the kids' sport classes. So for me, it's not a case of look at mummy. Like, m- women should do sport as well. It's everyone should do sport and because it's really fun and you feel better um afterwards yes that's that's such a such a wonderful thing to teach them it's 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 fun it doesn't matter like that's why I'm, I'm always keen to talk about movement rather than exercise and sport because movement is so natural it sounds playful and you know dancing around your kitchen is movement and you can have fun with your kids dancing around and them knowing that that's everybody regardless of your age shape ability is uh, is such a valuable thing to be able to know isn't it um okay so you started ultra running did you start ultra running 10 years ago yes that, that was your marathon Saab, was it yeah I, mean, I my first race was um 30 miles a day over three days the the druid um the druid challenge so I went straight in at the deep end, skipped the whole 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, um, which is good because I probably would quit because I can't stand um, running really, really quickly um, in a race. I find it really difficult. I find that mentally difficult. Yeah. Um, and I never run a road marathon. Um, it, the whole that really would stress me out running a road marathon mm. um, I'll probably have to do it sometime I've got a place in London an auto place in London so I might I might do it um but I'll probably jog around for fun yeah uh, but yeah I went I went straight into the deep end which is probably the natural place and, and where I should have ended up in the first place and uh so your kids are obviously now three and six months so how did ultra running fit into your sort of motherhood journey like going from pre-kids and doing that sort of thing and training racing and things like that to then having um your first son and then to having two and then now working through your sort of immediate postnatal recovery stage that you're in right now um I actually I've been a better runner since I've become a mother probably not because of the mother thing but the more the races I've taken on I mean running was always fun to me so I go away once a year to do a stage race in Bhutan or, or Cambodia or Iceland, sometimes dragging my husband along. Um, and then it was only kind of after having Danica that I ended up taking on kind of the biggest race, kind of Spartathlon, um, more hundred mile races. Um, and then obviously UTMB. I mean, prior to having Danica, we did a bit of Ironman training. So we did an Ironman, a couple of Ironman um, races which I knew that I couldn't replicate after being a mother because you're training three disciplines, um, 
I signed up for an Ironman, barely able to swim a length of a pool um, without being out of breath. It was the reason I signed up because I wanted to learn to swim properly. Um, And that really scared me into doing it. Um, It's a really effective way of making sure you go swim training because otherwise you'll be the one drowning in in the lake, um, even with a wetsuit on. Um, I think afterwards it was getting back into fitness is important. I first raced with Danica when he was just under six months old. I did a 50 miler. and got back into it that way. Um, we used the running buggy more. We were on the canals um, in Islington, which was perfect. It was a great way to get out. Um, I actually took a little bit of maternity leave more than I did with Cormac. Um, so I think since it was just fitting in, running is a great thing to fit in around things because yeah. I run errand running, I run commute running. Um, in the mornings now in Guildford, I'll drop the boys at nursery and then um, I'll run for an hour, get a session in. Um, and then start work. Um, so it fit in easier after he went to nursery. I was running a company um, and everything was, was fit in. I ran to and from work as much as possible. And, and because you're training, you're running at your sort of ultra pace or, or approximately that. So you're not sort of really like, um, I don't know, trying to run super long distances fairly fast are you still doing your sort of ultra pace for that no so I think for me I don't have time to run 40 plus mile weeks Mm. um and I'll train a lot of ultra runners do um the longest run I will run in a training week would be two and a half hours um and that would be at peak um and the other runs would be um, an interval session, a hill session, a tempo session. So really kind of quality miles. Um, and I might have kind of a six mile fun run, um, pootling around, um, midweek, um, if I have the time, but I think people think ultra training means they have to do more miles than marathon training. Mm. Um, and often it's, it's the opposite. You certainly need miles in your legs. So if I think about, um, the first time I ever trained properly, uh, for ultra running rather than just kind of turning it for a few runs for fun uh was a spartathlon because it's um it's 153 miles non-stop 36 hour cutoff um in the heat in greece mm. um and the cutoffs are very tight so i i, I when i had my place that i have to train for this properly um and i had a an amazing coach robbie Britton, who'd run it before and said you weight train you're strong we can do this on an average of about 30 miles a week. Um, and that's what we did. Wow. Um, and I got around the course. So I think it's really important that people don't think I can't do this because I don't have time. This is actually, let's optimize. Let's take out all the training that is not um, getting us stronger or faster. And let's only do that specific training that is. Mm. Um, throw in a couple of races, a few 50 miles, 100 miler um, to test the distance. Um, and, and you can finish really strongly. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I think a lot of people might think that ultras, you're just literally slogging it out for, for as long as you possibly can to be able to get it. But is uh, is the, the main part of it, like you said about the strength, which, are, which is amazing, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but um, um, is is something like the uh, Spartathlon, a lot like a really in your head there's a lot of the sort of mental ability to get through because just so that we don't underestimate what the spartathlon is it is a non-stop 
153 kilometer race, right? It's Mile. got miles. Miles. 256 so, kilometers, I think. So it's, I should have math better. It's, it's non-stop. So, so things like the Marathon de Sable, and I think for UTMB, you do get to rest and you do get to um, have some sleep and things like that, right? But Spartathlon is no sleep. Spartathlon is the same distance as Marathon de Sable, which is over six days non-stop in right. a day and a half. There you go. Okay, so that's that's a really good comparison. It's not that one is e easier or whatever than the other. It's just more that you're having to deal with a lot going on in your head at that time, right? So that, so that must be a huge part of it for you. I think so. And the, the UTMB, I, I had 20 minutes sleep over two nights. So um, <laughs> UTMB, Luxurious. I didn't sleep either. Um, it, it, it is. It's an incredible race. It's um, absolutely iconic. It's it's steeped in history. It's um, brutal, and 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 it's so historic because the reason the cutoff is so um, tight is it follows the the steps of Oedipides, um, who set off from Athens at sunrise um, and arrived at Sparta at sunset the next day um, to warn them of the approaching army, um, and then he ran back, and then he did the run to marathon and died. But no one remembers the big ultra he did. Um, <laughs> prior to that, which is, 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 is far more impressive, um, a feat over the mountains. Um, so that's why it's so tight. Um, historic finishing rate is probably 35, 40%. Um, and you qualify. So everyone's a great runner in this race. And, and what separates the runners, um, a lot is the pacing. So, so many people worry about the time they go too fast, too quickly. Mm. Um, it's hot. So you really need to plan your, your hydration, your salts. For me, um, I put myself in a coma um, a few years ago in Cambodia because I, I drank too much water mm. and I had hyponatremia, didn't take enough salt. So my salt plan was very, very specific in this race. Um, I had a crew, um, a couple of friends, um, Nick and Crassy following me. Um, they were allowed access to me at certain points to make sure I was looking after myself. Um, and you have about 75 checkpoints which each have the, the cutoff time on them, the distance to the next one. Um, and you, it's just a mental battle for, for almost 36 hours. Wow. I mean, that sounds just incredibly, incredibly full on to be under that sort of pressure every single time you get to a checkpoint to be able to, you know, coming in and thinking, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. Am I going to make it? Am I here on time? Are my calculations right? Um, that, that sounds really full on and you just very nicely glossed over the fact that you put yourself in a coma. So do you want to just let, uh, talk to us about the uh, small incident in Cambodia then? It was quite a small incident. No, it was quite a big incident. Um, mm. So this was in 2013, I want to say. Hang on, I'm trying to work out when I, had, when I got pregnant. 2013. Um, so I, I love stage races. I think they're incredible um, adventures um, and I've done them all over the world. And this is my first one in Cambodia. But my first one in um, uh, heat that was humidity. Mm, uh, right. And um, I wasn't used to conditions. And what was happening is um, they give you a certain amount of water and um, they were encouraging me to drink. And I'm quite small. I'm five foot three. Um, and I was drinking too much water. Um, and I had salt kind of capsules, those kind of dissolvable ones that weren't very strong. Um, and so I was drinking far too much from my, my body weight and what I was actually processing and not replacing the salts. Um, and 
what we realized afterwards is I sweat a very high amount of salt per liter. I should know this. I'm covered in, in white stains when I come back from a long run in the heat. Um, and I had a sodium level of 108, which um, in pretty much all cases is fatal or goes brain damage. Um, and my, this is after day three, the long day. So I was winning the race. Um, it was being filmed from a documentary called Boundless. Um, so you, the whole thing's been captured on, on, on camera, oh. including the coma, um, which is always a bit frightening to, oh. to watch back. Yeah. Um, but I was helicoptered out of the middle of the, the jungle to um, um, kind of see Mreep what, and then over to Bangkok. Um, and my husband had a phone call saying, there's half a chance your wife dies, there's half a chance she has brain damage, there's, there's no other outcome. And my family had to get on plane to Bangkok. Um, so it was a huge learning for me um, to look after myself. Um, what risk meant. Um, it, I, I wasn't feeling I was being reckless. I just was unaware of the dangers. Um, and since then, um, a company called Precision Hydration, who are amazing, actually test salt levels and give you specific, tell you what you need to take. Um, and now I manage that. Um, so I can race in hot conditions again, and I'm confident doing it, but with a very, very specified plan um, to protect myself against that. And so that's about knowing yourself now. So you've become much more sort of um, calculating about the ways that you approach things by understanding your uniqueness when it comes to the processing of water and, um, and salt. Completely. And, and in other ways, I think ultra running is the races I choose um, are the ones where I feel safe doing them. So um, I have Raynaud's disease. I have bad circulation. Mm. I won't do alpine races um, in the in the snow. Um, my husband did the ice ultra in Sweden a few years ago, mm. which is stunningly beautiful. I cannot take on that race. I would be um, an issue for for the staff on the race. Um, I know I'm prone to hypothermia um, because of it, so I always pack extra layers. And I'm very very cautious, and I know the symptoms and in that kind of cycle in my head during an ultra. I'm like. Am I getting too cold? Am I am I upset? How are my emotions? Does that mean I need to eat more? Am I, am I warm enough? So that comes into it. And I think the same thing with technical trail. Um, I'm not a great, very technical trail runner. I'm not a great scrambler. Mm. Um, I was in a race, Grand Trail Cormier last year, um, just before I was pregnant with um, Cormac. And um, I was doing on the 105 kilometer um, distance. Um, and you could stop at 75. It was a different race. You would be disqualified from the 105. Um, and I was coming down. It was night. And the ground was very technical. And I called my husband and I said, I've got another 30K to do on this technical trail. It'll be through the night. And I'm just not confident. And I said, I'm going to quit. I'm going to finish at 75K. And he's like, you're not quitting. You've just done a 75K. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly hard trail race. Yeah. I said, I think the sensible decision is not to push on. Um, I had a great time out. I was actually doing it just to get a break um, in the mountains. I had a tough few months um, trying to get pregnant, as it were. Um, and it was to see the views and to spend time with my friend Matt. And I was like, I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish mm. on this race. I'm not going to take a risk with my family um, by going up on another mountain um, when I'm unsure of my footing. 
Mm. And do you think that's something that that may be a decision that you wouldn't have made before you had kids, or was it just that happened that the incident in Cambodia gave you a really good uh, gave you a good head on you, made you sort of grateful and understanding, and all of the rest of it? And it, it was neither here or there that it was pre or post motherhood. I think I think there's definitely a post motherhood change. Um, I think I've always been kind of risk averse in a way and planning I guess that's partly kind of a somewhat kind of military background is like what are we doing here what's Mm. my what's my my goal here um and certainly with races um and tolerance for injury it's if something's a niggle on a race it's a case well is this an a race is this a race I I want to finish and I'm willing to risk a six-month injury um or is this a race I'm just doing as training in which case pull out straight away um Spartathlon was a race where my, I had an edema in my quad after 138 miles, uh, running on a camber, um, 138 miles in, my quad just exploded um, um, and swelled up. And I was limping painfully for the last 15 miles just to make the, the cutoff. And if that was just a, a B race or something I didn't really care about finishing, I'd have pulled out. I was in, I was crying in agony, um, but I was willing to risk injury because that was a big um a big goal for me. Yeah. So it's just assessing what kind of race it is, what your goals are, what you're willing to take. I know UTMB, I, they rerouted us over the last descent into something much more technical. Um, and I was going one mile an hour at best over some of the terrain. It was like going down on like a, a staircase of tree roots, uh, um, yeah. up and down on them. And I knew that at the, at the end, as soon as I crossed that finish line, I wanted to be there for my boys. I wanted to be running around after them. I wanted mm. to be mum. I had to support my husband mm. in looking after them. I couldn't risk an injury. If I, if I hurt myself, mm. that would be me, be me being a, a not so good a mother. So mm. I was like, the time doesn't matter. I'm well within these cutoffs. I'm going to walk down this very, very carefully. And I'm not going to look at all these people that are, that are flying down without <laughs> the heads on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a combination of, of, of all of that together, your sort of experience as a runner and then also your understanding of everything that's gone into getting you there. Cause it's, it's a team effort. After all, your whole family is there to get you there to the start line and to be there for you at the end. Um, okay, so um, let's talk about, I mean, you've mentioned about the UCMB, so maybe you can just say exactly what does UCMB stand for, what exactly is it, and let's talk about the uh, the photo, what it was <laughs> that you were photographed doing, and, uh, um, and, and the sort of effects of the photo once it was released. So the UCMB, UCMB is, is um, Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, and it's, um, it's actually a long-distance trekking route that, that anyone can do. Um, and it's run as a race. Um, it's 106 miles, um, over 10,000 meters of climbing with a 46 and a half uh, hour cutoff. Um, so you start at six o'clock on a Friday. So you've been up all day without sleeping, especially if you have two kids. Um, and um, like me, you're going through two nights um, to before you finish the race. And so you have to, in order to be able to enter it, you have to have been able to, uh, you have to earn points in order to be able to get there, is that right? Or Exactly. So you, you can earn points over a two-year period beforehand. Um, it's equivalent to running. You've got to run about um, three fairly tough races, so 100, 100 kilometers to 100 miles 
um, trail race. This is all trail. So anything on the road. So Spartathlon being a much more difficult race than UTMB to finish didn't count for anything because it was on the road, um, oh, which is no quite way. frustrating. Oh my um, God. And you're in a ballot. So I had my first place in 2014 um, and I fell pregnant with Danica and um, they will let you defer your place if you're injured, but they will not defer for a pregnancy. Oh. Um, and so I lost my place. Um, then I tried to get into a different race and series next year. Um, then 2016, I tried UTMB. 2017, I tried UTMB, always making sure I'd done enough races to have points. Um, and I kept missing out. And when you miss out two years in a row, you get an auto place. So I knew in January 2017, I had a place for, for August 2018. Right. Um, I also knew that I wanted to have another baby. Yeah. Um, and as time went on, I was thinking, okay, the baby will be nine months old. That will be okay. The baby will be six months old if I get pregnant this month. That's okay. Hang on, I'm pregnant. The baby's going <sighs> to be three months old. Um, and then knowing that I couldn't defer and, and it could be years till I had another place. And I think any other race um, where it's easy to get into or it's not so iconic, I've been like, fine, I'll do a different race. Mm. This race is, is kind of one of the pinnacles of, of trial running, in, in, certainly in Europe. Um, and I wanted to give it a go or at least have it as a focus that I would maintain my fitness during pregnancy the best I could, um, get back into shape however I could afterwards. Um, I, I genuinely never thought I'd even be on the start line. Um, and, and the idea of finishing it was kind of a, a goal, a goal Z almost, um, but it really was to keep my mind focused, and and it and it certainly did that. So why did you not think you were going to be on the start line? I think three months after you have a baby, and 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 any mum will say that. Do you think you can run 106 miles and 10,000 meters climbing? <laughs> Probably not. Um, and certainly with my first son Danica, I stopped running when I was seven and a half months pregnant, and it was until. It wasn't until he was three months old I could take a single running step mm. and then my body had gone back together. Mm. So thinking that was the first time, second time might be harder um, and how I, I stopped running much earlier. I stopped running at five months knowing that that was one of the reasons maybe the, the pressure and the impact mm. had, had been hard to recover from. Um, I just was hoping that I could even, I only was able to kind of actually run um, a little bit um, five or six weeks before the race. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and so how was your recovery from, from giving birth to Cormac and uh, things? So it was, it was a pretty straightforward labor, luckily. Um, um, he was out quickly, much unlike Danica. I think, I guess that's kind of second babies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I gave birth at seven at night and I walked home the next day at 11 in the morning. Um, Unlike Sonica, where I think I was in the hospital for three days. So that helped. A lot more to recover from than, yeah, from the first. Um, and I think mentally it was like, okay, I need to get back on my feet because I've got another one to look after. Mm. Um, and I was back in the gym at 10 days. Um, and back in the gym was um, walking on an incline on the treadmill on the Stairmaster, exactly how I'd been the week before I gave birth. Right. Um, and it was only gently that I reintroduced the weight training after about four weeks, um, when I felt able to, um, very cautiously, um, and very specific for the race. Um, and then introducing kind of running kind of 
really when he was kind of more than six weeks old after the check. Um, and even then it was only super soft trail and super condition, uh, cushioned shoes, um, walking up hills, um, walking down them, um, reducing the impact everywhere I could um, and doing kind of all the, the women's exercises and, and, and Pilates I could to bring my body back together. And did you have a, a coach at this point who was guiding you through that uh, sort of strength and the, and the, you know, the right things to be doing? So I've had a strength coach for probably seven years called Nick Kinsella, who's incredible. Um, he did my first pregnancy um, with me um, and kind of knows me um, so well um, and what I can do. I think having general pregnancy guidance, do this, do that, isn't right because we're all so, so different. Yeah. And it's how you feel. And he was watching from balances and supporting different moves. So um, I trusted him to um, to help me kind of find different exercises for the same thing when things felt felt wrong. Um, but when I when um, Cormac was six weeks old, I thought if I'm going to do UTMB, I I need a running coach. I need someone who's knows the the race. And um, I called up my Spartathlon coach Bobby, um, and he's just like. I'm a guy. You're coming back from pregnancy. He's an incredible running coach. Um, but he said, you know, the best coach for you is is a lady called Edwina Sutton, um, who's an incredible trail runner herself and mum of three. Um, and I think certainly for when you're trying to explain what a run has felt like and your body's recovering from pregnancy, it's a bit easier to do it to a woman than a man. Yeah. Um, it's quite personal. So she's been fantastic. And she really put the plan in place that got me to the start line, um, able to at least go through the first night and then see how we went. Um, and, and it's a lot of credit to her that, that I, was, I was even um, able to make it there. And how much did uh, your, um, uh, the, the amount of strength training and things like that, because I was, I was thinking that one of, the, one of the things I really try and drum into my clients when they say, oh, I think I'm going to start doing the Couch to 5K or I've signed up for half marathon or something like that. And I sort of say, okay, so what, what are you thinking of with your training? Oh, I'm just going to go for a run. I'm like, well, okay, apart from Pilates sessions with me, what else are you doing strength training? Oh, well, I'm not really doing very much or, or I hadn't really thought of that or something like that. And one thing I really try and drum into them is how incredibly important strength training is for any level of running but how was it for you I mean you've talked that you were doing a lot of weight training or had done a lot of weight training historically was that a big part of your recovery as well I think recovery um I think it was just getting back into it um I think I'd been weight training for UTMB before pregnancy during pregnancy um what people kind of don't, they, they think about an ultramarathon and they pitch these runners, um, picture runners with poles walking um, because mostly it's walking. You're going up, there's very little flat in UTMB. Mm. You're either going up a mountain or down a mountain um, and up you're walking. Down, I would normally be running, but my body couldn't take that impact. So I had to be walking down these mountains. So your quads are... I mean, a lot of the reason people don't finish is their quads aren't strong enough mm. because the impact, imagine going down kind of more than the height of Everest to sea level in a race. Um, it's a huge amount of impact. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my quads, I was strengthening my quads specifically. Um, going up, using your, your poles and your arms. So um, 
I think kind of my 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 trainer took a video of me doing tricep dips and and pull ups while eight months pregnant. Um, having very strong arms is uh, a huge part of, of being able to get around a, a trail ultra when your legs aren't um, as strong as they'd normally be. Mm. Um, uh, and and doing a lot of the 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 balance work. So I do very heavy um, single leg deadlifts, um, yeah. hamstring lunges, uh, lunging forward with a, with kind of 60 kilos on my back and then pushing or more and pushing back up um everything that's slightly unstable that's uh training my glutes training my quads to operate in the same way after they're tired but also take that massive impact that you you have um over that that terrain wow that's amazing 60 kilos trying to do a single leg lift that's that's incredible so that i think that really shows that um how much difference um strength training makes so somebody to be able to complete the UTMB after such a short time postnatally that's really such a good guidance for for people to uh, for women to hopefully understand that whatever running you're doing do more strength training your quads and your glutes really really need it um okay so there was a photo taken of you uh by one of the photographers um during the UCMB with you breastfeeding your baby who was three months at the time and pumping at the same time by the way good skills because that is pretty (laughs) hard it's quite that's quite a challenge in itself but at the time you were at one of the rest stations in uh, uh, in the race. So um, what's the sort of format of getting to that point? Because I think I remember reading something about you had quite a long time between being able to actually feed your baby, like actual breastfeed him. So the rest of the time you were trying to pump in between. Is that right? So the photo is at Komaya, which is, um, I guess, from Chamonix where the start is. It's just through the Mont Blanc Tunnel, but it's, it's almost the halfway point on the on the race, um, and it's actually the first time that a crew could meet you. So you could be met by people, and I could be met by essentially a baby. Um, so I'm 16 hours in, and it's the first time I've been able to have access to a pump or, or Cormac to um, to to feed. So before that, um, through the night, you have kind of less milk anyway, um, which was helpful. Um, and it wasn't building up, but mm. I was in absolute agony by the time I got there. And I'd been trying to um, kind of drain the milk. I'd been trying to hand express yeah. the aid stations um, and do whatever I could just to kind of not have any any kind of blockages. Because one of the risks on the race that we discussed beforehand, my husband, is, is if I think my milk supply is in any risk, then, of course, I I pull out the race because feeding Cormac is far more important than me finishing some ultra marathon. Mm. Um, and also there's dangers with mastitis, with infection, mm. um, if you let milk kind of build up too much. So we were very, very cautious of all of those. And, and I was just trying to manage the situation before I got there. Um, well, I mean, God, you just reminded me of that agony. So, I mean, it even just happens while you're it's still Sorry. actually... No, but it's like six years post-breastfeeding and I, I'm like right there straight away and exactly that's stinging pain yeah. oh the hot and you just think everyone stay away from me if anyone touches my boobs <laughs> you are dead <laughs> yeah um 
Uh, okay, so so one of the funny things about the photo is that there's a there's a guy lying on the floor next to you who's taking a rest, putting his feet and his knees up. And he seems like he's completely oblivious, obviously, to what's going on. So I wonder whether he he sort of had any inkling that there was something, uh, you know, that you were doing something I, I don't know extraordinary. It was certainly not normal. It's not like there were loads of breastfeeding mothers um, in the race at the time. Um, but um, I said in the intro that you kind of become poster girl for breastfeeding endurance athletes. Do you see that that's, do you think that that's what you've become and, and how does that sit for you? Um, well, I didn't think I was doing anything extraordinary, to be honest. Um, I was just getting on with it. Mm. Um, I wanted to run this race um, and I had a duty and a responsibility to look after my family and feed my baby. So for me, it was just, of course, that's what I'll do. I'll get to the aid station and I'll feed my baby. Um, and I think people saying kind of, oh, you're kind of doing it kind of obviously in public. No one else apart from the photographer noticed that I was breastfeeding. Right. The guy next um, to you clearly wasn't every, sitting there staring at you, was he? I mean, this is, th these are the kind of the seats. Um, and if anyone kind of pulls the picture up, if, if they kind of Google, I guess, Sophie Power, it's pretty much the only thing yeah. that comes up now. My entire <laughs> career has been wiped out by this one photo. <laughs> You've done um, nothing in your life except No, no, I, 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 I was never CEO of, of a tech <laughs> company and founded it. I, I just breastfeed and run, <laughs> yeah. um, which I find quite funny. Um, these are the seats at the side of a sports hall. So imagine a massive sports hall full of wooden tables, um, runners everywhere, their families everywhere, people passed out. I mean, no one slept all night. This is the first kind of sleep station. I didn't sleep here, but a lot of people were asleep, um, dealing with their feet, dealing with kind of um, um, their packs. Um, the only person that would ever, the only person that actually noticed it the whole way through the race were was Alexis, a photographer, and then the medics at the other stations after this I was pumping at, um, and they were great. They took me to the the med area and gave me blankets so I could stay warm my pumping, which was, was really, really lovely mm. of them. Um, so it's not, for me, it was, I never, I mean, I never thought anything of this mm. in, in any way. Um, and when Alexa said he wanted to take a photo, my only reaction was, do you know what? If UTMB see this and maybe there's a, a small Strava story because it was Strava that, that shared the photo, maybe they'll change their role. Um, because I would have loved to defer a year and run it really fit and in a really good way mm. um, and not maybe kind of force so much training or um, kind of the pressure on me to to be on the start line. Although I, I didn't really feel the pressure to do it because it was, I'll see what happens. But I'd love to run this really fit and get a great time and and and, and not kind of bring Cormac through the, 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 the Mont Blanc tunnel to, to feed at the time in the morning. Um and that's why I said yes. Um, and then when it exploded afterwards, I think initially it was, look at the breastfeeding. Um, and, and that's been brilliant to be able to talk about why I love breastfeeding. Um, and I think there's so many reasons that aren't to do with the health of the child. And I think there's a huge amount of, if you don't breastfeed, you're a bad mother, and that's completely wrong. Mm. However, there are really good reasons to breastfeed that um, help you out as a mum. Mm. Um, but I think also just to say, you know, mums should be able to do things themselves. And um, often kind of men will ask for, for forgiveness for, oh, sorry, I, I ran over at the pub after the football. Um, women don't even ask for permission to do things. They just don't think they should be allowed to do things. Mm. And I'm just saying that for me, my mental health and my physical health are very important. 
and when I'm fit physically and when I've had that time for myself, I'm a better mother and therefore it's important that I take time to still retain a sense of myself other than just being a mother. Yeah, oh, that's, I mean, that can speak to so many women in so many different levels that even just take, even taking the time to sort of you drop the kids off at school and you walk a longer way around to give yourself some time just to spend some time on your own makes you a better mother and person for the rest of the day. Just even doing that, let alone doing the things that, that light you up, that give you a feeling of you, that which is which is really what, what, what we all want for each other. It's what we want for our kids, for them to do something that they love and enjoy and, and um, showing that it, them that it comes from us first is, is just such an amazing lesson in life, isn't it? And I think that's why the pitch has been, for me, that's why I've, I've been so happy to speak about it. I mean, mm. we're quite a, normally quite a private family and I didn't even have an Instagram account. Um, but seeing kind of what happened on the Strava share and the women's health share and kind of the tens of thousands of likes and thousands of comments and reading what women were saying and this picture and the sharing of it allowed them to talk about the struggles that they were having and mm-hmm. the, the torn, we're, we're told we can have it all mm. and we can't have it all at the same time. It, it doesn't make sense. Um, you have to have a huge support network and in place to do everything. And I think for me, it's, the more women that I can share this with that can then change how they do things or, or, or be empowered to say, you know what, actually I can run things a little bit differently. I need to ask for a bit of support and I can do this this way. Or, you know, I used to run, I really love running yeah. and maybe I can take that back up again or, or maybe their, their hobby is something completely different. Mm. Um, and for me, it's been so wonderful to see um, all these women saying, I, I, I now feel I can do more and, especially a lot of the husbands saying, I do not support my wife enough. I see, I see you doing this and I don't think my wife should run ultra marathons. I mean, this, the story is not about ultra running and it's not about breastfeeding. No. It's just about motherhood and saying, can we have a chat about how it's really hard. It's really hard to become a mother mm-hmm. and, and to maintain that. And you're a mother 24 hours a day, but maybe it'd be great if you could just be yourself for a little part of that. Mm. Mm, yeah, exactly. And and I spoke to Moira O'Sullivan, the Irish distance mountain runner, um, last year, and she was saying that one of the things that people don't see when they talk about, oh, uh, you know, oh, Moira, you were, you were um, uh, breastfeeding at the um, aid station in the middle of one of your runs or something like that. And she said, yes, but you also didn't see my husband running around, like sorting my pack out. Feed, putting food into my mouth, bringing the kids in and out, being my support and all the rest of it. And, you know, I, I'm not doing this as a selfish mother by myself. I'm doing this as part of a team that we've all made the commitment to together to do. Yes, OK, it's the thing that I want to do, but it makes us all feel um, fulfilled and, and happy because... I've got what I want. And isn't that a wonderful gift to give to somebody else in your family that you're, you're enabling them, helping them to be able to um, find their joy in life? Um, I, I thought that was a lovely thing to way to describe it. It's, it's a beautiful way to describe it. And I, and I, and I hope and I think more and more women are sharing their stories of how they now do this. And that, that's what this has kind of enabled because it's gone so, so public, so globally. Um, 
I mean, at the moment, um, and as we speak, there's an incredible ultra runner, Jasmine Paris, on the spine race, which is 270 miles mm. nonstop on the Pennine Way. Mm. Um, and her baby's following her around. Um, he's much older than, than Cormac, and he's still breastfeeding. So he's following her on this. And she's now sharing her journey as a mother. Um, and she's a, she's a pro athlete and doing this. And you're seeing more women coming back, obviously, kind of Serena Williams being the, the most famous one. Mm. And just being really honest about the fact that we want to be good mothers. Um, and we still want to be ourselves and have our own ambitions. Mm. And um, when my husband has an event and training for, we enable that. When my, my son's mm -hmm. doing something, we enable that. Mm -hmm. um, we have family goals. Um, we don't just have goals for ourselves. And um, what really kept me going on UTMB was, um, so UTMB is, is a week of events in Chamonix. It's a week of races. And earlier in the week, you see some of the shorter races, people coming through the finish line, which is in the middle of town. And you see them running with their kids. And, and Danica was, was clapping them all in every day. And he said, I really want to run down that straight, finish straight with you. I, I want to run with my mummy and I want to see you finish. And that completely kept me going. And he was so inspired by it. He did his own little 400 meter race for three-year-olds. They, they oh, organized it oh, brilliantly. That's amazing. Um, he got, he got, he got well beaten by, I think that the, 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 the son of the Spanish marathon champ who was pretty quick at, oh. at three years old. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. He, he's running around with his kids and he now understands running and he loves to race. And when we're out in La Santa, um, over, over Christmas, New Year, he was doing the races there and trying to get faster and, um, our, our room was on the athletics track. Um, you can't really skate sport. And in the morning, he'd be like, time me. I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run around the track, time me. Um, so it, it's inspiring everyone else. And it's a family journey. And um, seeing how kind of proud my family are of me for completing it is, 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 is so wonderful. Mm. And what sort of comments have you um, had, like both good and not uh, not so nice um resulting from the sort of the discussion around uh the photo and and the sort of the talk around that I mean, it's been almost universally positive um which is quite everyone's this is quite rare for social media that some things discussed so yeah in, in such positive tones because it's very hard to say that women don't have the same rights as men um in this day and age and that um, women need to take time for themselves and women's bodies are absolutely incredible. We are, we are not weak after we have children. We need to recover, but we are stronger than we even know. Mm. We go through, we grow a human inside us. We give birth to it. Um, that's an endurance event in itself. Um, I would say, if people say, oh, running a hundred mile, it must be harder than, than childbirth. I'm like, no, childbirth is way harder than running a hundred miler. Um, just as a fact, um, I'll, I'll put it out there. For, um, and most women that kind of done both say the same. Um, but I think there was, there was a, a little bit of kind of, oh, she should cover up from a very small minority of people who didn't understand the story and that no one was looking at me. Um, and that was shot down. Um, there was uh, some interesting. Germany actually was the country that that discussed it in um, in the strongest tones. And I had a very difficult interview with a journalist there who asked me the question, "Why did I think it was okay to breastfeed in public?" Um, and he had a he himself had a few weeks old baby, mm. and I said, "Your wife is going to read this interview. I can't believe you're asking me this question." He said, "Well, I didn't believe it, but people are saying that." I'm like, "This is not acceptable." Yeah. Breastfeeding is is why we're all alive in the first place. It's why our ancestors enabled us to live. 
Um, this is not a question. You, 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 the, the people should be thinking about it. it should be how do we enable women to breastfeed yeah. and maybe why if there are people that still think it's not okay let's address that really clearly straight away that this is the most natural thing and how do we enable more women to do it um, so it's been a very a small minority that way but I think it's been um, celebrated I think one of the things I've been trying to do is people kind of trying to hold me up as super mum, super woman, mm. and I'm not super woman. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that every woman should run 106 miles a few months after they give birth. Mm. This is not attainable because this is 10 years of training. Yeah. Um, and trying to kind of calm some of that down and say, this is just about us being able to get out there and how important our, our physical mental health is. Um, but it's been a great debate. And I think it's been so wonderful that people have taken on more people are sharing more people are talking about it um and the follow-on conversation that, that that's had so that's what i'm kind of really proud about is is now we can talk about it with a reference to something that's a little bit crazy and a bit extreme but that makes people going out for their yoga session at 10 o'clock on a saturday morning um a completely normal thing to do now Yes, yeah, exactly, rather than having to just fear around everybody else and sort of almost apologise for you having a need or a want to move your body, spend time with yourself, re reconnect with your own self, that you do it in your way, other, other women will do it in their way, but in any way it is that people can offer, you know, their family needs to offer support and can offer, offer support and it makes everybody feel happier from it. And uh, yeah, you're you're allowing women, you're reminding women that it's okay, it's okay. Like nothing awful is going to happen. I mean, I'm really impressed that it wasn't too much controversy. I know that there was a um, a poll, was it on, on oh, Run, Runners World or something like that? They used some very choice language on uh, on that, but apparently it was taken down. I didn't realise that because I saw it when it was originally up, and I thought, oh, that's that's some interesting way to describe it. Uh, well, I, th I think I'm imagining it was a kind of late teens, early 20s male intern yeah. that didn't even know what breastfeeding was no. um, that put it up. Um, Without I, much editor uh, <laughs> involvement. They've they just written a really positive article. And, and for, for anyone that, that, that kind of doesn't um, see it, it was, it was two options. You have a poll on, on Twitter, two options. What do you think of breastfeeding during... Um, um, races and the only two options you have was gross a little selfish or it's none of, it, it, it's none of my business it's only her business um and and you could if you place the question with what do you think about people taking uh kind of guys taking a pee against a tree during a race yeah. <laughs> that would have been the right question yeah um breastfeeding which is kind of you're kind of not seeing anything that's actually not natural um the baby's getting fed i mean if there was an option like isn't this awesome yeah. or um, it, it's none of my business that that might be in the right poll. Um, so they took it out very quickly. Um, but what I think is actually valuable in this is that some people still have those thoughts um, and they'll be allowed to be public about them, which means there is still some way to go mm. to normalize breastfeeding. And we know in the UK kind of it's less than half of mothers um, are breastfeeding at six weeks. Yeah. Um and, and in some areas of the country, only kind of 20% of mothers kind of even really start. Um, yet we know how beneficial it is. Um, and at the same time, not wanting to um, 
put pressure on those mothers that can't. Some of my very close friends um, couldn't physically or had real problems and mm. um, they felt horrendous for it. And, and that's not the, 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 the point. Yeah. The point is if you can, you should be given the support to do it because actually there are lots of benefits for both you and the baby. Um, and anytime someone says cover up or you don't feel comfortable breastfeeding in public, that stops those women having a normal life and breastfeeding and it stops them breastfeeding. So I think it was good that some of these opinions surfaced because it means we have a long way to go um, before we can really support mothers in, in making the right choice for them and their baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, that's a really good way of spinning the sort of potentially damaging words that people can use. And, and I suppose uh, to rebut the uh, potentially the, or the anything negative that you might have seen, women who were feeling that they looked at that photo and said, oh gosh, if she can do it, I can, and then see some negative comments. They'd also then see positive comments over and over again, and which allows them to go, oh, okay, actually, yes, that's good. So I can, I, I can, I feel that other people would support me, or that it's not um, not something that I couldn't do, or not something that would be be challenging. So yeah, that's a, a nice way of spinning it. Um, okay, so what um where do you get your sort of motivation and inspiration from when it comes to running your work um the the, the way that you go about your training um life things like that does it other people books what is it um that's a good question I was never really on social media before this happened um I tended to avoid it because I always thought it kind of put this sheen on life that um, your life has to be perfect. And as a mum, you need to be making these organic kind of chickpea based um, products for your children every day. And you're supposed to have air blow dry and um, kind of be juggling 20 balls at once. Um, So it really wasn't that. I think um, for racing and choosing new races, often it's chatting to runners at races. Um, But a lot just comes within myself. I think in what I do now, it's since I had kind of my first, since I had Danica, um, and I was pregnant, um, the same thing with forming Air Labs, the company, was a deep desire to leave the world in a better place than I found it. Um, and to have a positive impact on the next generation. I think that defines everything I do work-wise now with kind of stepping down and saying, you know, how do I kind of take my, my combined experiences and do something that's good, um, that, that, that benefits people. Um, so that's probably behind kind of the work side of things mm. um, and and wanting to help people, wanting to help advise other companies, wanting to help kind of them do good. Um, the training is, um, I just don't put any pressure on myself. I think there's so, I think for me, I, I need to be physically fit. I know that's important. And if I haven't been for a while, um, my husband kind of kicks me and says, come on, you know, you know, this is good for us. You, you know, you're happy when you're fitter. Um, but I think we, there's so much pressure to bring down marathon times or to have a six pack or to do, um, which I certainly don't cause I really like food. Um, <laughs> and I just don't put the pressure on myself that other people do. Um, I train cause I love training. If I want to go for a run, I go for a run if it's on my training program and I was like, Oh, do you know what? I'm just really not feeling it today. I'll do something different. 
Um, although you never come back from a run feeling worse unless you've injured yourself. Um, That's true, yeah. I, I think it's just being learning to be kind to myself. Um, if I want to eat chocolate, I will eat chocolate. Um, if I get on the scales and things aren't really fitting, I'm like, come on, you'll be happier if you just deal with this for the next few weeks. Um, so it's just being more relaxed about things. I guess that comes with being older. I'm kind of 36 now. Um, I wish I could have talked to my kind of 25 year old self and told them that it doesn't really matter oh, if yeah. you won't be happier if you lose a few pounds. Save so much heartache, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, if, if I could go back, if I could go back to my 14 year old self that was second last in the mile uh-huh. and was overweight and just said, you know, you do need to lose a few pounds. You do need to exercise more. Um, but as soon as you do and you're a healthy weight, if you could just stop worrying about that for the rest of your life, mm. then you could achieve so much more with all of that kind of mental space that you've been spending on yeah. calorie counting yeah. um, and and trying to and trying to lose the weight. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and and I think uh, I think you've talked a, a, a little bit already about this next question. So, but but maybe you have a sort of summary of it. But what do you hope to inspire? in other people? I, I, I think it's kind of saying I'm someone that kind of wants to inspire people. I, I still find it quite weird that um, I'm even having this conversation with you and people are listening to what I have to say on these issues. Um, it's, it's all just kind of quite normal to me that I'm getting on and, and many other women do kind of the same things as I do in different ways and, um, and, and amazing role models. Um, but for me, I think inspiring or kind of giving people, enabling people to um, do more for themselves as mothers and having more stronger kind of confidence themselves to to achieve more, to, to reach their goals um, and to be happier and more confident mothers. Um, I, I think the pressure on us as mothers, especially new mothers, is is so intense um you can't do anything right whatever you do mm, yeah. someone is going to criticize you you work too hard you don't work enough um you train too much you sit on the couch mm. um and just giving mothers the um ability to say i'm making my conf- i'm making my choices um and they're for me and my family i've thought about them i've discussed with my partner he's making his own choices our kids make their choices and we do not have to defend our choices to anyone mm. because we know what's best for our family and what's best for our family is often having us happy and, and we don't have to defend them. So we're going to do whatever we like um, and you don't have a, a right to have an opinion on it. Yeah. Um, and for me, if everyone did that, then they'd be far happier. Oh, yes, yes. And again, so much less energy being put into worrying about what other people are thinking and saying and things like that and so much more mental space to have for um enjoying ourselves and and uh, bettering ourselves and and being interested in other things the the wonderfulness of life around us rather than worrying about opinions and uh self-criticism and things it's it's a lot i, I think i think it, it's certainly kind of giving people the ability to discuss their mental health as new mothers mm. and their physical health mm. and putting it out there that we need to be having these conversations because so many new mothers have, have postnatal depression and they don't know what it is, but they, they, they don't, they, they're not feeling right. Um, 
and exercise can play a huge part in in helping that yeah um, and we just need to talk about it because the more we talk about it the more people realize it's a risk and the more people can kind of put a name on it when they have it mm-hmm. uh, but also prepare to um to fight it and to fight fight the the struggle of of being a mum and juggling everything and and suddenly having having had this strong identity you probably had before which combined kind of probably your career and your your friends and your your activities and your 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 skills and and making room for something else that something else should take a part in your identity but it shouldn't become your entire identity mm, yes yeah, that's that's uh, su- such an important distinction, and um, I think uh, you know, touching on this postnatal depression, mental health issues, postnatally is so vital. And like you say, conversation—that's the key. Talking stories, listening to other people's experiences, um, uh, people talking, women talking to each other, or you know, whoever talking to each other, and just being able to open up and hold space for each other when somebody does want to say something or um so so vital for all of us and for our whole families to be able to have that um well thank you sophie for uh well for your part in that part of the conversation which i think is is huge and and the contribution that you've made to that has been so significant um and i certainly wish you all the best for for your sort of change of change of career or moving on to as you are, um, because I, I'm sure everybody can hear that the way that you're talking about it, you're clearly so passionate about um, this area. And I think it's um, obviously going to be um, uh, great for you to be, to be uh, keeping on talking. And I know you're going to touch a lot of women's uh, experiences by being able to talk like this. Um, so thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time today as well to talk to us. As thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you found the content interesting and worthwhile. Can I now ask you to pick up your phone and go to your podcast platform or open up iTunes on your computer and rate and review this episode. You can review as many episodes as you like. So even if you've done it before, it doesn't matter. I make these podcasts because I feel it's a necessary conversation to be put out there. I take the time to choose a variety of interesting guests and I want to reach as many women as possible. However, I do it all for free at the moment. To keep on reaching more listeners, I would love to eventually get a sponsor and that requires ratings and listener numbers. So please help me to make this podcast grow more by taking the time to let me know what you think now. Thank you and I look forward to you joining us next week.